Now here's the point. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. We are impatient readers. We don't have time to slog through too long didn't read. We have an abbreviation for that. We ask, what's the bottom line? And beg yarn spinners to cut to the chase. Well, the writer of Hebrews is gracious enough to identify his main point so far, and he does that in chapter 8, verse 1. The old covenant, priesthood, and law aren't just inferior, they've been replaced. Here's Pastor Jim. Look with me, please, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. We've been talking about what happened to Jesus after he ascended, where he is now, what he's doing. And the writer comes to that point in his writing, in his, in his narrative, in the teaching that he's doing through the book of Hebrews. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, Now the main point of what is being said is this, the apex of what is being said. He's trying to, well, he's not trying, he is gathering up what he has said in the previous seven chapters. Uh, last week, we kind of went back and briefly jumped over the main points of that. But he has shown conclusively in the first seven chapters that Jesus in his ministry on earth was absolutely unique and that his, his accomplishments excelled and exceeded any that uh, Moses or Abraham, all of those guys. He is a different leg. He is God become flesh. But he did become flesh, and in his humanity, he was truly man. It tells us that, and it tells us, reminds us that there were great benefits derived from his humanity, his experiencing life as us. And the apex of that humanity was that he could be your substitute. He, he as a man, could take your place as a man. He could, he could match up and become you before the law of God. And since he had no sin of his own, he could die a death in your place for your sins to pay the penalty that you and I deserve because the wages of sin is death. That's what chapter 7 is talking about. It also tells us that, that in his resurrection, when he was raised from the dead, God made a proclamation. Today you are my son. Today I have begotten you, he said in the Psalms, the prophetic Psalms. So you are now my son, a son in a unique way. A unique way means he is the only begotten. He is the one of a kind. There is no parallel like him. And at the same time, the father said, I'm going to make you a high priest forever after the order or after the arrangement of Melchizedek. Remember that? And then he talks about how Melchizedek's priesthood was different than Levi's priesthood. Remember that? Well, we come to three chapters now where the author is going to focus on three primary excellencies of the Melchizedekian priesthood, or to say it a different way, He's going to show us three out-of-this-world truths, exceptional truths about Jesus as our high priest that exceed, absolutely exceed, the Old Testament Levitical system. That's where we're headed. This is the apex. This is the point. This is where we've been coming. This is where we've been trying to get. Now we're here. Now he says, 
We have this kind of high priest. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up and not man. Don't whip by that too quickly. He was accepted in his ascension, greeted, given a name which is above every name, Philippians tells us, and then honored to sit at the right hand, the highest pinnacle of power in the universe, sit at the right hand, sit, not stand, sit. He had accomplished his work. He sits at the right hand of the one who has all authority. And where he sat is at the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And that's described as a sanctuary, which is a true or the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up. In other words, uh, Jesus, after he finished his resurrection, didn't go over to the temple there in Jerusalem. He went to the temple of which the temple of Jerusalem was a copy or a model. That's what it says. He went to the throne, right hand of the majesty in heavens. He is a minister of the sanctuary in the true temple, which the Lord set up and not Moses. We don't talk enough about heaven. And in the passage before us, we're going to learn some things about heaven that we maybe have not thought about or haven't pondered long enough. It's telling us here, and the author will reinforce that, that our priest, our great high priest, Jesus, is positioned at the very right hand of God at the throne. He's king, king, appointed king, throne, king. Got that? He's the high priest in a tabernacle, in a sanctuary, a sanctuary which God made. That tells us that in heaven there are realities which God made and we're going to later hear that what Moses was told to build in the tabernacle in the wilderness was a tiny copy, a tiny model of that reality in heaven. And we're also going to learn that what we read about in Revelation, where Satan's kicked out, that's not mythology. It's going to tell us that heaven itself, the true tabernacle, has to be cleansed has to be purified because the devil stunk the place up. And he still does. He is an odious being. Sometimes people will ask, why doesn't God just wipe the devil out? Just punch him. Well, here's one of the reasons. The minute God wipes the devil out, all those under the devil's deceptive ownership go with him. You understand what I'm saying? If God chose to wipe Satan out right now, no one else on earth could ever be saved. Satan would have perfect right to take them all with him. And remember, the lake of fire is made for the devil and his angels, not for humans. God didn't design the lake of fire for humans. 
Now he's going to let humans go there who choose to worship Satan and his demons. But the reason God puts up with the devil, among other, is because God is righteous, pure, holy. He is above sin. He cuts no corners. He doesn't do anything with sleight of hand. And he is righteous in all of his dealings. And he is dealing righteously with Satan by permitting Satan to continue on in his deceptive, lying, crooked business because God is not willing that any should perish. And the minute God knocked out Satan, all of those Satan would claim and take with him. You see that? That's why it says in 2 Peter that God is not willing that any should perish. So what we think may be God's short-sightedness. God is not, God, what's Peter say there? God is not, what's the word? God is not slack. Thank you. God is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. That means God is purposefully putting up with Satan all his mischief, purposely putting up with the corruption, pain, sorrow that's going on in the world. Why? Because God is busy seeking to rescue more people out of Satan's clutches. That's a real kingdom. Lost people really do belong to Satan. Just like saved people really do belong to Jesus. You see that? That's not mythology. That's not mythology. Well, let's move on. Hebrews chapter 8, that's where Jesus is. He's the place which the Lord set up. It's not man-made. Now, verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest, that's Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on the earth, if Jesus had gone over to the temple after his resurrection, look, he wouldn't be a priest. Since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. The law did not allow, the law only permitted Levites, those from the tribe of Levi, to be priests, and only those from the family of Aaron to be high priests. That's the law. That's what God said on Mount Sinai. That's the law. That's the Levitical system. That's the law. That's the way it's set up. So Jesus wouldn't qualify there on earth. But remember, we just learned that he's no longer on earth. He's now in the sanctuary in heaven. Let's read on. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those, that is, those priests, those Levites, offering the gifts prescribed by the law. They, these on the earth, serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the temple, for God said, Be careful, Moses, that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So Moses is given by God a set of architectural plans that are defining, describing, showing dimensions to house activities for things to be done in that temple 
which mirror a reality in heaven where the true sanctuary is. And God told Moses, Moses, don't get fancy. Don't be creative. Because what I'm having you design and do with the tabernacle is a copy intended to teach about, to teach things to people on earth about things that are true in heaven. So Moses, don't you, don't you get fancy. You use the colors I told you, use the dimensions I told you, because everything about that tabernacle, everything about the sacrifices, everything about the celebrations, the feasts, everything about the priests, the priesthood, all of those things are earthly models that are intended to reflect heavenly realities. Hope you think about that. I remember when this passage helped me to get beyond the fact that heaven isn't a place where I sit on a cloud and drink sweet iced tea and have angels fan my brow. Heaven isn't a place of just golden streets. Heaven isn't just a place with shiny thrones. There are real substantive things going on right now in heaven. There are real living beings in heaven. There are cherubim, there are archangels. There are seraphim. There are living creatures. Heaven is a very busy place. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, Jesus said. That means there are many beings there. There's lots, lots, of, lots of things going on in heaven. Now when you read the book of Revelation, look for those, those clues where the, the angel comes out of the sanctuary. Remember that? And the smoke, the smoke fills the sanctuary. Remember that? Just go back and read Revelation again and capture those pictures that John saw as he watched in heaven things take place in the real world. I'm always amused when people talk about Monday I got to go back out to the real world. No, that's not the real world. Heaven is the real world. And that's why Paul was very comfortable in saying, you, you, you set your desires on things above, not things on the earth. That's permanent. No thieves there, no rust, no corruption. You vest in heaven. That's real. And then Peter comes along and says, our inheritance is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's kept, restored, or reserved for you in heaven. Those are terms meant to say that heaven is the best bank anywhere. I mean... And if you were in heaven tonight, with all the activities, all the things going on, all of the people that are there, all of the creatures, all of that, the central focus of all of heaven is the throne. And on the throne, there is a living being. We call him Father. Jesus called him Father. And he doesn't have a physical body. But on his right hand at the throne there, we recognize him. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Okay? So that's where Jesus is. And now we read that uh, verse 16. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. That is a superior ministry to what was going on over there in the, in the temple with the Levites. Jesus has now obtained, that means he has been given 
He has won. He went hand-to-hand -hand combat with the adversary, Satan, stripped him of his power, crushed him in defeat. He won. He won. And it was a real battle. He obtained this honor that he now has. We read earlier, God said, I am going to make you I am going to ordain you. I'm going to establish you, the high priest, in a system of worship, praise, sacrifice, forgiveness, which transcends everything in the universe. Okay, he obtained that. He won. That's what that means. Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry to everything going on down here on the earth in the temple. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. Whoa, wait a minute. Superior ministry, better covenant based upon better promises. Now the writer is going to unpack those three things. He has given us three latitudes or three superlatives, three manifestations, three identities of Jesus in his ministry now that make him transcendent, not just above the temple over there, not just above the, the, the high priest and all the ministries, not just above blood sacrifices, but above all that because his ministry is based upon a new covenant. The old covenant disqualified him. He couldn't be a Levitical priest. He was born of Judah. The old covenant disqualified his claim to the throne because in the old covenant kings could not be priests. So God scrapped that covenant. I'm talking about the law of Moses. I'm talking about the law of the first five books of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the law that God gave through Moses to the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt and headed for the Promised Land. I'm talking about that covenant, that document, that document. God annulled or set that aside and put a new covenant, a new constitution in place. That's why you have an Old Testament in your Bible and a New Testament. The New Testament is designed to tell you how God now works in terms of dealing with sinners and building up his sons, and by that I mean sons and daughters, into becoming like Jesus Christ. Well, let's read on. Oh, one other thing. This new covenant is based upon better promises. What's that mean? <laughs> well, here's a simple illustration that'll help you remember. Back at Sinai, back here, Mount Sinai, uh, God spoke to Moses and through Moses the people, and he said, will you obey these laws? And what did they say? We will, we will, we will. Remember that? Yes. So the effectiveness of that covenant was based upon the promise that we, the people, we will do righteousness. 
We will obey the laws. We will stay in relationship with you, God. See, that's the promise. That's the foundation of that covenant back there. Thank God he put a subfloor in that whole agreement, which looked forward and anticipated a Messiah, one who would come who would keep all the promises perfect. But the, the way the law, Levitical system, the Ten Commandments and all that, the way that all was to function was, we will, we will. And what happened? We can't, we can't. Now what do we do? Well, that's why I give you the tabernacle. The law said do and live. They said we don't, can't. If it's based upon our self-perfection, we can't measure up God. So we're under death. Then go over to the tabernacle and through the blood of bulls and goats learn the lessons of substitute. And in those anticipate the coming of the promised one, the Lamb of God, where the wood is sin. Okay? Now that's the old covenant. Based upon what promise? We will, we will, we will. <laughs> what's the what's the better promise? I did. I did. Very good. Very, very good. Yeah, the better promise is, Father, I will go, I will live, I will keep your perfect commandment, I will die as a substitute. I will then take my body back to the grave. And the father said, well, son, at that point, I'm going to get in that action too. I'm, I, I want to get in on that deal. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus was raised by the power of the Spirit through the will of God. It's amazing. So you have the whole Trinity involved in that resurrection, and you really have the whole Trinity involved in, in the crucifixion. Jesus is the prime actor, but the Father and the Spirit are very active involved, and we'll run into that in just a minute. The point is, this new covenant, Jesus has got a ministry now. He's a high priest in a ministry in heaven in the real tabernacle that flows out of, as defined by a new covenant and that new covenant defines the rules of how God now will deal with man through the finished work of Christ. And at the foundation of that, of that new covenant are better promises. I did. I did. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. That sealed the deal. You can fly the simulator and it may seem totally real, but you get out at the same place you got in. The virtual reality version of the aircraft doesn't get you anywhere. The message we're reading in the book of Hebrews is that the old covenant system of priests, sacrifices, and the temple was only a model of the real thing. Jim has begun a sermon called Jesus and the New Covenant. You can get the entire message on CD for a gift of $7 or more. It's one of 19 sermons in our series, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. All of those are collected in a CD album that you can own for a donation of $66 or more. Your prayers and gifts are always important. More than important, they're necessary for the ongoing work of Right Start. Now, as we all look forward to a new year, we're asking our listeners to help us end 2023 in the black. We're praying for a surge in year-end giving. So if you've been meaning to help, please do. And thank you. You can reach us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call us at 1-800-984-2313. 
That's 800-984-2313. And visit the website, rightstartradio.org. That's a great place to make a secure donation. And be sure to open some of the gifts we've left there for you. Complete sermon audio files that you can play or download for free, current and past radio shows, a link to the daily podcast, and even more ways to learn, grow, and interact with us. Just visit rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The Law versus Love. More about Jesus and the New Covenant on Tuesdays, Right Start. Right Start.